0: We are in a series that we just started, like you mentioned last Sunday, called Summer in the Psalms. And I'm so excited because I love the Psalms. And if you are new um, to the Bible or new to the Christian faith, um, the Psalms are the songbook of God's people There are 150 songs in the book of Psalms, and I think of the Psalms um, like an old-fashioned jukebox or modern-day Spotify, where you can literally open it up and just like, what mood am I in? And you can find a song for that mood. It's like my 90s mood ring. And and I love that because we get to see the humanness of God's people. We get to feel like, wow, I'm not the only one. And we also, in the same breath, get to remember who God is and that he is constant and faithful and the only one, like we sang about this morning, that can make us whole. And so it's the full gamut, the psalms of all the emotions. And because I'm a musician, I'm extra fond of the psalms because this is how people, God's people, remember things. Music is one of the very first ways we learn. And it's also the last thing we forget. And so if you think about it, when you're growing up, I mean, everyone learns the ABCs. That's how we learned the alphabet. That's how I learned the state capitals. That's how I learned the books of the Bible. I mean, I put, even in, when I did my master's degree, I put stuff to the tune of some Sound of Music songs, and that's how I passed the praxis test. And, no joke. And, um, and then the crazy thing is, at the end of our life, it is the last part of our memory, the last part in our brain that stores memory to forget things. And so it's crazy. I've seen, like, a great uncle who couldn't remember his wife's name because he was suffering from dementia, but he could remember the words to his favorite hymn. And I'm sure you've seen that before. It's so sweet and powerful that God made our brains that music is the first thing we learn and it's the last thing we remember. And so that's why the Psalms are so powerful because the Israelites, God's people, did not have the benefit of Bibles like we have in print today and all the translations. They had to rely on the oral tradition and the Psalms that they were taught from a young age. And so I was thinking about that because a few years back, one of my kids asked, Mom, can I go to a middle school dance at a public school? And so all I'm thinking of is my middle school dances, which were so bad in the 90s. I don't even want to try to tell you what they were like. And so I thought, well, I'm going to only let her go if I chaperone. So I chaperone this dance because this is how you find out what's happening. And in the middle of the dance, this is what ha- what happens. I'll just let you watch. <clears throat> I just want to sing along. (laughs) That's me saying their parents have good taste. So I was amazed that in our era, these kids were belting out Don't Stop Believing and Journey. It honestly made me feel like there was a little more hope for the world. (laughs) And I I was truly shocked. They sang the entire song. And it just reminds me that when we pass down things from generation to generation, they're going to stick with us, whether for good or for bad. Whatever is taught to us through music is going to stay. And so today we are going to read Psalm 115. And you can go ahead and turn there. Psalm 115, 115, and this is a specific Psalm in a group of Psalms that start from Psalm 113 to 118, these five Psalms in there, and they're called the Hallel Psalms or what we would know as hallelujah, which means praise God. And so these five Psalms were sung during the Passover meal, which would happen once a year, um, which kind of near our Easter time. And this is when the Israelites would remember that, they, that God passed over, that he redeemed them and rescued them out of slavery, out of Egypt, and they walked across the sea on dry land and would eventually go to the promised land. And so these are the generations coming after. These are like the grandkids and the great-grandkids that didn't get to see that, and they are singing these same psalms that their parents and their grandparents sing. And so this is how this goes. Not to us, Lord... Not to us, but to your name, be the glory. Because of your love and faithfulness. Why did the nation say, "Where is their God? Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. But their idols are silver and gold, made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot see, eyes or sorry, mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear, noses but cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel, feet but cannot walk, nor can they utter a sound with their throats. And here's the dagger in the heart. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. All you Israelites, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. House of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. You who fear him, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. The Lord remembers us. He remembers you and will bless us. He will bless his people Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, small and great alike. May the Lord cause you to flourish, both you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to mankind it's not the dead who praise the Lord, those who go down to the place of silence. It is we who extol the Lord both now and forevermore. Praise the Lord. Amen. So Psalm 115, I could spend so much time on. I obviously got 150 Psalms, well 149 because Jamie took one last Sunday to pick from. And of all of them, I picked this one. And it's interesting that Yahweh, that Lord, when you see the, the all caps, L-O-R-D, that's Yahweh. That's the most personal name for God, this covenant name. And it's mentioned, if you go back and count, it's mentioned 10 times in just the song. And I know this is going to be a dad joke or mom joke today, but I think this is their don't stop believing song. Don't stop believing. Don't turn away from me. And last Sunday, Jamie Johnson, when he was preaching and it will be on the, the screen behind me. I'm going to just repeat the quote because he mentioned a little bit about idols in his sermon, which was a great transition to today. And this is the quote he shared from the book, The Psalms and the Life of Faith. It says, When the church says the name of Yahweh out loud, Lord, under its breath, it also quietly but undoubtedly says, is saying, And no Ba'el, no Marduk, no Dagon, no, not Enlil, etc. All these old Egyptian gods, Old Testament gods. Doxology, which is right worship to Yahweh, attacks the claim of every other god and every other loyalty. Israel freely confesses that other gods have no gifts to give, no benefits to bestow, no summons to make, no allegiance to claim. They are massively and forcefully dismissed. And that's so true. And so the entire Old Testament, I mean, really almost the entire thing is God's saying, don't replace me. I have a covenant love for you. I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. And we constantly see this cycle of God's people going back to the world, like assimilating with whatever culture they're in, going back to their idols. And it's this cycle of disobedience where we see them adapting secondhand, in my mind, like JV gods, you know. And we see the cycle of the Israelites disobeying and then they fall into distress, and then they repent and change their ways, and then God brings them renewal, and then the whole thing starts over and over, rinse and repeat, over and over again, and it's this hamster wheel. And honestly, all I can do is read it and think, that's me, that's us. Um, Idols are a really big deal. For the last 104 days, and this is gonna sound like a humble brag, and I feel weird (laughs) saying it in a microphone, Um, but I need to tell you that I've been listening to the Bible on audio beginning in March of this year. So just so you know, you don't have to start things on January 1. And my sister had shared this audio podcast of the Bible in a year, and it doesn't say January 1st, it just says day 1 and day 365, which I'm hoping to make it to. And um, it is transforming the way that I hear the word of God. I think I've discovered that I'm more of an audio learner than a visual learner, and It's the most days, it's the most time, and this is embarrassing to say as a pastor, but it's the most diligent I've ever stuck with something in a year, in the Bible in a year. Like I've made it through all of the desert wanderings and Leviticus and all the names. And, you know, I've always just tried to like read a book at a time, but this is transforming the way I hear the word of God. And my main takeaway in the last 104 days has been idols are a really big deal. And so today, we are going to talk about that. We're going to look at Psalm 115. And first, we just need to start with what is an idol? Because I think we hear that in 2022. And if you all ever lived in this season of like flannel graphs or Sunday school, you think idol and you probably are picturing a big golden calf, right? Or statues. Um, An idol, like a dictionary definition, is an object of extreme devotion or a biblical definition would be a fake and insufficient God. And I wanna read you a couple really good quotes um, from people about idols. Jackie Hill Perry says this idols function as a kind of savior, a manufactured messiah made to fill the empty parts within. But if a made thing didn't make you, then it surely can't make you whole. We could just read that all day, and that can be the sermon. John Piper says, an idol is anything that we come to rely on for some blessing or help or guidance in the place of a wholehearted reliance on the true and living God. And Tim Keller says this, an idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, if I have that, then I'll feel my life has meaning. Then I know I'll have value and I'll feel significant and secure. And if we go back to verse four, In this song that they're singing, they would sing it throughout the Passover meal. So if you can picture this amazing, like kind of like Thanksgiving for us, this meal. And throughout the meal, they're singing these psalms, these five psalms. And one of them is Psalm 115. And they're remembering about their great-grandparents and their family, their generation. And they're saying, but those idols were silver and gold made by human hands. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. And this is very powerful because even though this generation didn't experience it, we know like family stuff is a big deal. The generational sins and cycles of family, I'm sure you could go back in your family tree and we all, even the most healthy functional families have stuff, right? And we go back and we see addiction or we see affairs or we see divorce or we see brokenness after brokenness and it repeats and repeats. And they're singing the psalm and I'm trying to remember, we cannot worship other gods, and this psalm is also addressing um, the 10 plagues that got them out of Egypt, right? What's really, really cool about the 10 plagues, and I won't go through all of them, I I had time, but there's going to be some on the board here. These 10 plagues were not just random things. When you read about locusts, like a plague of locusts or the Nile turning to blood, these aren't just like creepy horror movie things that God was trying to do to the Egyptians. The Israelites had been in slavery for 400 years. Nobody in their generations knew what it was like to be free. And they had been in captivity this whole time. And so when God says, I'm going to let my people go, and I'm going to let them literally just walk right out of here, he's addressing the gods of the day, the Egyptian gods. So every single one of the ten plagues, has to do with one of the contemporary gods or goddesses in Egyptian culture. And so God is proving to them ten times, I am more powerful than every single one of your gods to the Egyptians. But at the same time, I think he's proving it to the Israelites because that was their culture. They were immersed in Egyptian culture. And so they probably were starting to believe in some of these little g gods, and they're seeing right before their eyes God just, I mean, he's just running the show. And so... One of so these are four examples: Hopi, the Egyptian god of the Nile, and you can see these are statues like that. You they still you know would have even today. These are some of these are um, modern. Some of them are from like hieroglyphics. But this plague turned the Nile into blood. This very big river. And then you have the Egyptian goddess of medicine, and God does a plague of boils and sores. And then Ra, the Egyptian sun god. And there's three days of complete darkness where the sun doesn't even shine. And then you have Heket, the Egyptian goddess of fertility, water, and renewal, who you can see in this bottom picture, had the head of a frog. These are all man-made, human-made gods. And God has frogs come out of the Nile, which I'm like, was it still bloody? This is really creepy. Frogs coming out of a bloody Nile. And these are these plagues to prove God's power. And so verse 9 in our psalm says to them, All you Israelites, trust in the Lord. He is your help and shield. House of Aaron, trust in the Lord. And what is the significance with Aaron? Why is Aaron mentioned here? Why not Moses? And if you have read at all any part of Exodus, you'll know it's because Aaron was the brother of Moses. And while Moses is on the mountain getting the Ten Commandments, these ten ways of living, What are they doing down below? They are getting bored. They're getting impatient. They're just like us. And they say to Aaron, who was kind of second in command, can you just make us a god? Moses is taking a very long time. And so Aaron gets all of their jewelry, all of their gold. They throw it into a big pot, whatever they had. And they fashion, it says, Aaron made with his hands a golden calf statue, this big golden calf, and they worshiped it. And this is what, at the same exact time this is happening, Moses is up on the mountain getting the commandments, and this is what the the first two commandments are. Number one, you shall have no other gods before me. And the second commandment, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, I'm a jealous God. This is covenant love. Punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations to those who love me and keep my commandments. And this is happening at the same time that down below they're bowing down to a gold cow that they've made. That, Like it says, it can't speak, it can't hear, it can't move. And if a made thing... It didn't make us. It can never make us whole. And so they're looking away for another God. And as I was reading through this and seeing these statues, I wondered, what would the plagues be today? Like if we had 10 plagues come right now, and I pictured somehow God just like zapping all of our power, like our electricity, so we couldn't plug anything in. Like what plagues would be our plagues today? And so it got me thinking, what are our idols? Which I'm sure you've wondered as I've been talking today. So I I asked a bunch of people the last couple weeks, I tried to get at least 50 answers from ages 10 to 80 year olds. And um, as I put these on the board in a second, this is, I just wanna preface this. Whenever I think about or talk about idols, I feel guilty. I feel like, man, I'm a loser. And so then we can start to just check out because we think, I will never, I will never conquer this. I will never be able to break free from the idols. How is that even possible? And so there's one side of, you know, our emotions that feels this deep shame. And I just want to say before you see this list of things, the Holy Spirit doesn't bring shame, right? The enemy brings shame. The enemy wants to gut you when you start to feel these things of conviction, and that is like where people get low self-worth and they don't even feel worthy to be alive. That is not from God. The Holy Spirit brings conviction. And instead of gutting us, the Holy Spirit makes us whole and does heart surgery. And so when we see things like this and talk about hard stuff, we can either have this response of like deep shame and we just want to like shut down and nothing good comes from that. Or at the other end of the spectrum, our culture, especially I think on the West Coast, um, you know, we're not in the Bible Belt um, here. People go to church because they want to go to church, I think. It's the great thing about living in Oregon. I feel like people really want to be here. It's not just this tradition. It's We want to come. We want to learn from the Word of God. But at the same time, we sin almost has become a bad word in our culture. We, I feel like we don't hardly say it. And so we, there's this other side where it's like, I don't know if I'm I even sin. Is sin even a thing? And we can start to just dismiss it on this spectrum of you know, massive shame versus total dismissal of anything. And so as I show you this list, just know, let the Holy Spirit be louder than your emotions. That's my one encouragement to you. And let the Holy Spirit just soak in and do heart work rather than letting the enemy do shame work. All right. So here is what these people said that I asked the last couple of weeks, here's our massive list of modern day idols in 2022. I could have kept going, but I couldn't fit them all on the screen. So here's the 50, that, the top 50. I wish, and if, for those of you that are listening to this on a podcast, you're not going to see it, but I will mention some of them. <sighs> this is a big list. And as you'll notice, some of them are good, right? Quote, good things. And some of them are what we would call bad things. Caring about what others think. That has been an idol for me, I mean, since I go way back. The good news is if you're struggling with this idol and you're in your teens, I can tell you I think it gets better in your 20s. And then in my 30s, it got even better. And now that I have entered the 40s, I feel like I'm starting to kind of care less what people think. So there is hope. There is encouragement. Okay? Um, Addictions, social media. Loneliness, always needing to fill our time with something other than God. Church services, money, vaping, identity, perceived control, politics syncretized with religion, making them one and the same, gaming, being politically and socially correct all the time, a desire to constantly know ourselves more. Do you know how many books about that there are? and they're fine, but this can become an idol, right? It can become the ultimate thing. Food, body image, children, it's a hard one. Sexuality, education, nationalism, everything being fair, nature, alcohol, Helping people, like you think, how can helping people be an idol? But anything can be an idol. I was asking one of our former pastors um, who I've known for a long time, and he was talking about baseball being an idol. And he said, you know, baseball is an incredible sport, but it makes a lousy God. And so we look at this list, and I'm sure we all could add our own things to it, and it's a lot. My favorite answer, I'm going to tell you the number one answer in a second, but my favorite answer to the question, what do you think are idols in our world today, was by a 10-year-old boy, and he said, and I quote, how about those TVs in Buffalo Wild Wings? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I look at that, and I think the golden calf probably looks a little less insane, right? It was, I laughed so (laughs) (laughs) hard. He's not wrong. The number one answer. To what do you think are idols in our world today is me, self, myself. People said it in a lot of different ways, but the bottom line was me. And it goes back to verse 1 of our psalm today. Not to us, O Lord, be the glory, but to you, not to me. And that is the hardest idol to remove. The scary thing about this list, and if you want to go back, Heather, thank you. You are amazing. I just so appreciate our amazing volunteers up there. Um, You go back to this list and a lot of these things are good things, right? When Aaron was making that golden calf, do you know where he got the gold from? He got it from all the people who were wearing gold earrings and gold jewelry, but do you know where they got that gold jewelry from? In Exodus 3, right when they get released on the way out from Egypt and they are walking out, the the ten plagues have happened. God does something extra. I love when there's like a miracle inside of a miracle. It's when we know that God is so powerful. And the, the, it, the Egyptians who had been holding them in captivity for 400 years on their way out, they gave the women their gold earrings. Egyptian women started giving them stuff on the way out. I think by then they were like, 10 plagues have happened. Just take all our stuff and go, please. But this was God's favor on them. God's extra goodness to them. And so they have these earrings to remember. Those people who held you in captivity, who abused you for 400 years, you even have their earrings. And now you're walking across the sea. You are never forgotten. I remember you. And these are the earrings they rip off their ears and throw into a big boiling pot and make a golden calf out of. And that tells me that even good things God gives us can be turned into idols. And that's the tension. How do we live this life with all these good gifts and not treat them as the source? How do we make the creation not bigger than the creator? How do I make my kids who I would do anything for, who I would die for, how do I not make them greater than God? How do we do that? A French reformer named Jean Calvin said, the human heart is a factory of idols, an idol-making factory, and that every one of us from the mother's womb is an expert in inventing idols. And it's true. I honestly thought, how can I get up here today and preach? Because I have so many idols in my life. A couple of weeks ago, my family and I went to Mexico. And we were in the Yucatan Peninsula, which I'd never gone to before. That's the easternmost part of Mexico. And um, so it's where the Riviera Maya, like Cancun, and this whole beautiful part of Mexico is that connects to the Caribbean Sea. And it was really interesting because when I was booking the place we were staying at, before you could even get to the part where you can like select your rooms and select the dates, there's this big notice that comes on the screen. And it says, like a box you have to check, I understand that sargassum, which is seaweed in in English, that seaweed is a big deal, a massive problem in the Riviera Maya, the entire coastline of the Yucatan Peninsula. And it has been for years. And it's not just a little seaweed. It's a lot of seaweed. And it just, this box says, I understand that basically we can't can't really do anything about this. It's just going to happen, and you're going to have to deal with it, and don't come wanting you know, like a refund later on because of the seaweed. And I checked this box. And we go to Mexico. And I know, OK, we're going to have to deal with it. And I get there, and I'm like, this is no joke. I want to show you a couple pictures. Um, that's a little boy holding his, <laughs> his shirt up, because it smells really bad. It smells like sulfur and like rotten eggs a little bit. And we're not talking a tiny bit of seaweed. How many of you or your kids like to eat seaweed snacks? Anyone in here think that's good? You know when you open it, it kind of has that fishy smell? Imagine that, but magnified. And it is thick and crunchy, and it's all dried on the shore. And you don't really want to boogie board into that, right? (laughs) And it's the entire Riviera Maya, the entire coastline. And so then, as I was watching, uh, one of the days when I was there, I wanted to just sit and look at the beautiful Caribbean, and I'm staring at seaweed. And I realized that they are trying to control this very big problem. And so one of the ways that the place we were staying at was trying to control it, because everyone kind of has their stretch of beach they're trying to maintain. And so these two guys are on a tractor in the hot sun all day long. One guy is you know, scooping it up, and the other guy is hauling it away, and I don't know where they're taking it. And they are doing this along the entire stretch. And by the time they get done, they have to go back and do it again in the same day, because it's never ending, and it's constantly coming in. So here's a video of what this looks like. And i am just got my pina colada while I'm filming this. <laughs> Can I say that in church? I don't know. <laughs> and this is what, I think sorry, it's probably buffer, this is what it's doing the whole, the whole time. And I'm just thinking, this is a losing battle. So the place right next to us, the resort right next to where we were staying, decided they're gonna try a different tactic. And so they have built just in their stretch of beach this huge barricade in the water so that the seaweed isn't constantly pummeling and coming in to the shore and this is what this looks like and this probably took a lot to do this is the only stretch of beach that i saw in their entire area where you could walk on the beautiful white caribbean sand which is gorgeous in the warm water and people were you know um boogie boarding and kayaking and swimming in it. Of course they only want the people from that hotel doing that and I was like, I really wanna go over here because it doesn't smell and I can walk and nothing's in my way and it's beautiful. And so I took a video of what that looks like. This is the next one and this is me walking and I just was like, this is how it should be, right? But this has come at a great cost to blocking all of this seaweed. And so it got me thinking about idols And how in the world we can do this. Because it does feel like a losing battle. Like those two guys that just by the time they get there have to do it again. And it's constantly, how do we do this in our world when it's coming at us all day long? In Ezekiel 14, Ezekiel is having this conversation with God. And he says this, some of the elders of Israel came to me and sat down in front of me. They said, then the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, these men have set up idols in their hearts. This isn't just a golden calf anymore. These are idols in their hearts and put wicked stumbling blocks before their faces. And Ezekiel says, should I let them inquire of me at all? Like, should I even have a conversation with them? Therefore, speak to them and tell them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. When any of the Israelites set up idols in their hearts and put a wicked stumbling block before their faces and then go to a prophet, I, the Lord, will answer them myself in keeping with their great idolatry. I will do this. He's going to remember us like it says in Psalm 115. I will do this to recapture the hearts of the people of Israel who have all deserted me for their idols. So he's not going to give up. He's not going to turn his back. He's going to be the faithful, the faithful one who constantly will come back, this redeeming love, recapture our hearts. So how do, we, how do we do this? How do we let the Lord recapture our hearts? How do we put blockades up so that we can walk freely? The first thing we learn in this psalm, number one, Not to us, but to your name be the glory. I think the first thing is an acknowledgement that it's not about us and that we have assimilation to the world and that our heart is an idol-making factory. I literally have to picture like the box on the screen when I booked the hotel. I acknowledge that this is going to be a problem. I acknowledge that the world feels like there's nothing we can do about it, but there is something we can do about it. And we just have to first acknowledge that it's not about us, but to God's name be the glory. Number two, I think we need to name our idols. Like when you saw that list, were there certain words that jumped out at you? Were there are certain things you would add to that list? Because we, we can't do anything about it until we name the problem, until we name there is seaweed and we have to do something about it. And that takes a lot of of conviction. It takes not going to the shame place like I talked about because the enemy just wants to make you feel worthless. And the Lord wants to remind you, I am not gonna forget you. I'm gonna remember you by name and I wanna redeem you. Number three, we need to remove the idols. With the Holy Spirit's wisdom, we cannot do this on our own. We need to discern how to remove or protect ourselves from idols. And I, when I, when I was writing this, I was thinking about when my one of my kids. I won't say who, because you know, being a pastor's kid's hard because you get lots of stories about yourself. But one of my kids, when they were two, they had been addicted to a binky, and I mean like a pacifier. We call them binkies. I mean it was it was my saving grace. It's how I got sleep, and they loved this binky. And so, from birth to two, this it was the turquoise ones. You know, they're the really good ones. (laughs) And uh, I I learned by the third kid, you just ask at the hospital for lots of them, (laughs) and they'll give them to you for free. And so, this turquoise binky was—I mean, it was an idol. (laughs) And and at two years old, you kind of don't really need it anymore. No offense if you if you all have kids that are still having binkies, but for her, for my daughter, she was starting to bite through it because you have a mouthful of teeth at two, and it was literally becoming a choking hazard. I saw binkies that were, like, barely hanging on, halfway, you know, bitten through, and I thought, she's going to choke on this. And so her, her, we were right before her two-year-old birthday. My husband was like, honey, we have we have to do something about this. It's this a problem. And so he said, at her two year old birthday, we're gonna say, bye bye Binky, like no more Binky. And we my kids love watching the garbage man come. And I don't, it's a thing when you're a kid, you just love watching the garbage come. And so they would sit on the back of the couch and watch. And my husband said, We're gonna wave goodbye to the Binky on Garbage Day. All of the Binkies. So we round them all up like all the idols, get them all, we throw them in the garbage, it was the whole thing, and we waved goodbye to the binkies. And guess what? She was fine. I was shocked that she was fine. I'm like, oh my goodness, this was less hard than I thought it would be. So like a week or two later, I'm, you know, she, had, she was in a crib and I was like changing the sheets and down in the crack, I found one more binky. And you know what I did? I gave it to her. I don't know why, she didn't even ask for it. And she'd kind of forgotten about binkies. And my husband was like, what are you doing? Why are you giving it back to her? I couldn't even tell you, but I think it's like somehow I thought this will make, this will make things better. I mean, maybe, I'll, maybe I'll get more sleep, really. It always goes back to not to us, right? Maybe, maybe if she's, I don't know. And we go back to these things instead of just removing them forever. And I think with the Holy Spirit, when we try to do that on our own, when we try to think like how can I get, how can I get rid of a pornography addiction that I've had for a decade? How can I get rid of drug use? How can I get rid of, you know, any, fill in the blank, anything that you've been just thinking about? Like myself, how can I get rid of worrying about what other people think of me that I've been struggling with my whole life? How, how is this possible? It's not by ourselves. It, it really isn't. And that leads, leads us to number four, keep yourselves from idols in community. Don't attempt it alone it's really interesting in Psalm 115 that twice it says house of Aaron and I wonder because Aaron by then is dead this is Aaron's descendants and Aaron was the one who made the golden calf and it's saying I'm going to remember you I'm not going to desert you whole household worship the Lord remember he is your hope and your shield and we can't attempt to get rid of idols on our own I think about that big barricade. Like Nobody made that huge barricade in the ocean by themselves. Can you imagine trying to do that on your own? We need each other. We need to confess sins to one another. I mean, to people who have earned the right to hear that, right? To people who have earned trust and who are confidential and who truly want to help you. We cannot do it alone. And the last thing, number five, remember the Lord. Say the name of Jesus Put your trust in Yahweh. Let the Lord, let the word of God make a difference in your life. I can't tell you like the last 104 days how different it's been just hearing the word of God, whether I'm tired or angry or upset. You know, I think about our emotions being like, um, you know, I, there's this saying, your emotions can ride in the car, but they don't get to be the driver. They can, they can ride in the passenger seat. They can even pick the music, but they don't get to drive. And when you let the word of God wash over you, despite whatever mood you're in, it's like in the Psalms, we remember the truth. And we need to say the name of Yahweh. Ten times in Psalm 115, they say, Lord. And I think it's because we just need to remember there's, there's someone who can make us whole. Nothing else in this world can do that. So I want to close today. And, and as I do, I'm going to invite the worship team up. I want to read this Psalm one more time. And I want to let the word of God make a difference, to let it shape our hearts and minds, to actually change us. Because the word of God does not go forth and return empty, ever. It always accomplishes the purposes that God sends it out to do. Let's go ahead and stand together and I'm going to read this one more time. Psalm 115, not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. Why do the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him, but their idols are silver and gold made by human hands They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but can't see. They have ears but cannot hear, noses but cannot smell, hands but cannot feel, feet but cannot walk, nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. All you Israelites, trust in the Lord. He is your help and shield. House of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is your help and shield. You who fear him, trust in the Lord. He is your help and shield. The Lord remembers you and will bless you. He will bless his people Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, small and great alike. May the Lord cause you to flourish, both you and your children. May those generational sins be broken in Jesus' name. May you be blessed by the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The highest heavens belong to the Lord, to Yahweh, but the earth he has given to mankind. It is not the dead who praise the Lord, those who go down to the place of silence. It is we who still have breath in our lungs and air in our bodies today who extol the Lord both now and forevermore. Praise